Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we speak with Ahmad Nasser, the president of NFL Players Incorporated. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us, and each and every week, is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams And let's start with swimming. we got a couple of topics to talk about. Let's start with Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte. Love Lochte. Uh, every, everybody's Love Lochte favorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, Love Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte um, if the, you haven't seen, a 14 months. Is anybody surprised by this? 14 months suspension because he put on his Instagram account a photo of himself getting uh, an IV uh, recovery unit, which gee. is not allowed for swimmers. You're not allowed to have intravenous Shouldn't uh, he just said, given. no, 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 it wasn't in my vein. It wasn't in there. It was it was just a joke. <laughs> 14 months for a guy who's yeah. at the tail end of his career. Yeah. You know, the, he, he doesn't have Trying that many months. Trying to squeak out one more Olympics. And it was already a rocky career to start. Even well, though he did that dancing with the stars thing, but, just you know. the silliness in Brazil, the lie, the yeah, I, I just the yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you yeah. liked the yeah. you, you jed for a while, buddy. Don't even try and take that back. Yeah, I will I not allow you to get out of that. But I mean, let's look at it from the endorsement standpoint. He's a TYR sport guy, tier, yeah, and, and they're sticking with him. Yeah, I mean it. They're hoping to have like the redemption. It was like the, it was the redemption the story redemption. before. Now it's really the redemption. Story. Yeah. So when when the when the whole Brazilian uh, mysterious night out uh, scandal happened, Ryan lost. I mean, he was suspended from swimming, but he also lost a lot of his partners. Tier stepped in, willing to kind of be the brand that was going to have his back to promote him. If he had a redemption, they wanted to be on his body when he did. Medina, if we had uh, music in this show, we'd have tears of a clown right now. Oh, nice. Thank um, you. Do, 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 do. And, on, they're sticking, give me something. and they're sticking by him tears through this. Tears of a clown. <laughs> no one around. Like Evan just, this, is, this is where Evan does, uh, turns his head to have you guys no done yet? Now, <laughs> see, no who, who sings Tears of a Clown, by the way? You do. Phil Collins. No. Oh! oh. <laughs> Smokey! Tears of the Anyway, uh, don't buy me. There's another part. I used to enter the WLAR, oldie <laughs> station, so you know, that, that's part of me. But, by the way, quickly about Simone Manuel. Also also a tear story, by the way. Also a tear story, yes. Yeah. Simone Manuel, uh, she uh, is, is added to the tear family this week, joining Katie Ledecky, the most successful She's top uh, women's swimmer out there. Uh, one unique thing about Simone Manuel, who, as people may remember, she's a Olympic gold medalist, uh, one of the few gold, black gold medal swimming uh, swimmers we've had, uh, or maybe even the first from, from a U.S. standpoint. She included in her sponsorship an inclusion rider, you know, this buzzword that became a huge deal in Hollywood earlier this year, uh, essentially committing tier to maintaining diversity uh, within its endorsement and its practices. She stands, like for, good stands for more than just taking the cash bar. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I, I thought you would. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. We got it. Oh, Nike. Nike, that's another topic. And <laughs> Good for them. They are raising the salaries of about 7,400 employees worldwide. For those who like the sports and apparel industry, let them be told now that Mr. Eben Novi Williams is now adding to all the things he already does. He's adding the Nike, Under Armour, Coverage, Adidas, adding all that to his plate. Woo. So, 
Mr. Novi Williams, what am I to make of this? At Novi underscore Williams for all your uh, all Change your apparel interests. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a, a raise that Nike is giving uh, across ten percent of its workforce, so a little over seven uh, seven thousand employees. Uh, they've been under fire. There have been a lot of executive departures recently, tied to some inappropriate office behavior, uh, some complaints internally about uh, gender pay gap, etc. Uh, this certainly seems as though it is an attempt by Nike to maybe help narrow some of the gaps. But they're, they're saying seeing. it's just to remain competitive in the industry. I find it hard yeah, to believe Nike is paying also, less than the others. It's also to harbor, you know, in, in inclusive and empowering uh, workforce. Soccer flash. We need a sounder for that. Something, something like go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all about Alfonso Davies. Seventeen years old. Bar. Seventeen years old. MLS gets a what's the trend? Twenty million dollar transfer fee oh. for seventeen year old going to Bayern Munich. And this is the big debate. Do you want the best players here? Do you want them going abroad to develop? He's Canadian, so it's not like one of these kids that's going to hurt the U.S. team if he isn't here. But good news for the league when they're producing the kind of player that teams like Bayern and other world powers want and they're willing to pay to get. Yeah, this uh, honestly, I feel a little bit of deja vu. The number is bigger, but you know, was it four years ago when DeAndre Yedlin, coming off that great yeah. World Cup performance, yeah. Uh, had a big transfer deal to Tottenham. Josie Altidore you had know, a pretty and, big deal. Yeah, yeah, and people thought that you know that Yedlin was was young. He had not really played in MLS all that long. That this was kind of the sign of MLS developing these talents that your major EPL or your major German or Spanish clubs would want to sign when they were young, kind of right off the bat. Uh, Yedlin did not really work out in in England. You know, he he didn't have a, a stellar Tottenham career. So we'll see if Alfonso Davies can can be kind of this big shift that we're talking about here. Oh, how I wish I learned how to kick a soccer ball instead of a bowling ball. Eben, you were not you were off the week. Bar told everybody he once bowled a two ninety nine. I did. He was wow. like a real bowler. Yeah, yeah. two ninety nine is good. Yeah. There's not, yeah. There's yeah. not much Thanks. better you can do Thank than 299. Except yes. the 300. Yes, 299 is good. When yeah. when was the non-strike? It was, was it early or it late? It had to be the last one. No, it was, it, was, it was the last one. It has oh, to be, has the to be because 299. Yeah, it was All right, the last full ball. disclosure bar. Brutal. I asked the same question. It, it was <laughs> two, oh, it was, yeah, that had nine pins got a butt whipping coming from it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. As always, our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi williams Now, Scott, let's get into our interview with Ahmad Nasser, president of NFL Players Incorporated, which is the licensing and marketing arm of the NFL Players Association. Nasser joined NFL PI in 2009, most recently serving as executive vice president of business affairs and general counsel. Nasser is overseeing the organization's major legal and business initiatives, including negotiating with partners such as Electronic Arts, Nike, Panini, and ESPN. He also led negotiations on NFLPI's landmark 10-year commercial agreement with the NFL. Quite the resume indeed, and Ahmad, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You got it. Always love talking to you. We've known each other for a while now, and I can't believe what unions have become. Because when I was covering, let's say I'm going to the NBA, 1998, 99 lockout, pretty much the union existed to negotiate labor deals. Yeah. But, I mean, you are a licensing and marketing arm of the NFLPA. What are unions nowadays? Are they venture capitalists? Are they, are they, are they bargaining units? What are they? Yeah, that, that's a, what a great way to start. Um, I think they're all of the above. 
And, you know, there's a much broader context for what a union is uh, nowadays than just sports, because I think even more traditional labor unions are struggling with the same questions um, of what, what, what are they here for. And there are lots of examples that I think underscore the continuing need for unions, um, everything from the Olympic scandal to the entirety of the Me Too movement. Um, those are things that, if you really think about it, um, should help articulate, well, here's why we need um, collective bargaining and, and collective representation, because it helps hopefully avoid um, these exact sorts of issues. Um, but then you have, you know, the, the, the voices that say, well, look, 100 years ago, uh, or even 20 years ago in the sports context, we get what unions were doing and what they were for and wages, hours, working conditions and, you know, bathroom breaks and factory um, floor and, and just being able to, um, you know, not be completely rolled over. Um, and, and is it really like that anymore? And, and you know, I think the times have changed, but the reality is still that the, par- the power dynamics are there. And bad things happen when you've got a completely imbalanced power dynamic. And so when we think about our context um, for over 25 years now, we as a collective union have focused on both the um, traditional union movement side, so collective bargaining, uh, traditional areas like wages, hours, working conditions, but also the business side and licensing and marketing. And we're really fortunate to represent NFL players who have, um, you know, an, an, an incredible following, um, uh, for better or for worse. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, and and so that that is monetizable, and we've taken that business to, um, you know, $175 million of revenue annually for the players and for the union. And it's put us in a position to do and try lots of new things. And I think um, the best kind of affirmation of that is other unions have have taken notice and have started to uh, emulate a lot of that. And we've been able to start working with other unions to roll out what we've done for NFL players for their uh, athletes as well. So does all this happen without a sophistication and a growth in the understanding of the business of sport from the players themselves? It, it, look, I think that is, it, it, it is absolutely necessary. And I look at the players coming into the league now, and I've done this almost 10 years, so you know, I've, I've had a, a, a bit of perspective on players coming in and out of the league. And the guys going out of the league, you know, in 2009, 2010, they they didn't know a lot of this stuff. And, you know, um, just even in your business, the amount of traction that sports business articles generate now compared to five, ten years ago, I assume, is much, much higher. And the players, you know, especially in high school and college as they get ready for the NFL, are absolutely part of that. Old man bar here. As usual, so I'm about to go way old school. I Prepare remember, yourself, I'm yeah, on. Old man go. bar. <laughs> <laughs> remember back in the day. Newt Rockney once said. I'm, you know, don't, you're laughing, <laughs> but I'm about to go Chuck Begnerick. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> remember back in the day if a player was, was tops, Chuck Begnerick, you know, yeah, you can see him for Vitalis. And that's how he made his extra money. And then one day. At least he didn't day, say Cialis. He yeah. said Vitalis. <laughs> <laughs> Then one day, the players realize, wait a minute, we're leaving a lot of money out there on the table, licensing rights, all this. At what point do you think it changed to where the players woke up? I think it was definitely um, an evolutionary shift, not a revolutionary shift. But I will point to one thing in particular that I think really helped nudge this whole thing along. And that, that really is the rise of video games in 
the early to late, uh, the mid to late eighties and early nineties, because once but Barr start- is so old about he actually remembers when John Madden was a coach. <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing, right? Isn't it amazing that to most people nowadays, if you did a survey. People know Madden as, oh, yeah, that's the video game. And I bet you a lot of people don't even realize that that's a person. Yeah, the kids have no idea he yeah, coached. Yeah, I don't remember that uh, he used to coach Otis Sistrunk. Right. See, remember? Well, that's, well, I'm well, pulling well, another well, name well, out. And, and by the way, we're skipping the whole generation that knew him as an announcer. You know, that's and right. as an amazing yep. right. uh, commentator on games. So, But I think once, once – and Madden was only part of that, right? I mean, the dominance of Madden really took hold 20 years later, right? The mid, uh, like 2004-05, and once they, be, they got an exclusive from both us and the NFL, and then, you know, the, the rest has been history. But, you know, when in, in the late 80s, early 90s, you had four or five different games, um, and, and it was early days for video games in general um, of, of really, you know, that kind of video game. And um, I think as the, the, the graphics got better and the players um, that you just mentioned, seeing themselves in a video game and then seeing that video game for sale at retail outlets really highlighted the, wait, wait a minute. And, and, you know, not just, you know, Joe Montana at the time, but right. every single one of those players. Um, I think it really, really helped facilitate the thinking of, wait, we've got, and, and all those video game manufacturers in the early days, you know, they didn't all have licenses from the NFL and the NFLPA. Some had player licenses, some had league and team licenses, and it was a bit of the wild, wild west. But what, what became clear is that the player licenses in video games in particular, um, that's what where the value was, right? And the, 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 the video game players wanted to play as Joe Montana. Where is the real value, or do they need a symbiotic relationship? Do you get the money if it's the players and the names playing, but they can't use the league and team marks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not a zero-sum game, and I think that clearly our best products, and I mean our, like both the NFL and the NFLPA, um, are products that, that make good use of both sets of rights. So the Madden video game is example number one. Uh, Nike's jerseys are another great example. Panini's trading cards, another great example. And they make, you know, a huge portion, Fanatics, everything that they do uh, on the marketing side, the e-commerce side, and their own apparel side um, makes use of both sets of rights. And that, that really is the lion's share of, of the revenue. But then when you look at other areas, and, and the point I was making is more theoretical, which is, you know, from a player perspective, they get the league rights because you've always kind of had that you know, shove down your face and throw it as a fan and as a player. But it wasn't until those video games started coming out and you could see your own name in the product that the player said, wait a minute, I have value and it's attributable to me personally and, you know, potentially has more value in the context of a video game um, than just the league rights. But it doesn't mean that, you know, people making products should go out and just get one set or the other. Um, although there are some things like content, you know, a lot of what we're doing in content right now doesn't depend on, you know, if you think of a show that, you know, features players' cars or houses or what they're doing in the off season, do they really need to be walking around the whole episode wearing their jersey? No, you know that it's Juju, uh, you know that it's Antonio Brown, you know that it's... Um, you know it's Chuck Bednarik. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he may need to wear jersey. <laughs> but you know what? See, I remember back in the day, and you're right, the video game thing. Here we go thing, again. But remember, you Atari remember, doesn't count, No, I'm, I'm not even... I'm going farther. Remember Stratomatic? Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Stratomatic, you did, I mean, that's when I really first noticed these guys were here 
And it took a while, but like you said, Amat, this happened when the video game era took place. But I remember Stratomatic, man. That was a lot of fun. All right, Amat, let me ask you this. What's the relationship like? Because we know when D, DeMora Smith, the executive director of the NFLPA, has to deal with Roger, it's often contentious, and we see that all the time now. What's the business relationship like? Is it a, a truer partnership because everybody's making money between the NFL and the PA and you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use a stronger word as partnership because we do have separate businesses and we run them separately. And there's a bunch of practical and legal reasons why, you know, there's a, I won't say a wall between, but, but there's, you know, not a true partnership in that sense, um, uh, like in a business sense. But, but, but I would say that the relationship is um, not contentious and, um, and, and, you know, I think we're trying to be, mindful of the overall business and that you know lately has involved you know over the last couple of years uh, a bit of a balancing act and and you know talking about issues that frankly I never envisioned having to talk about um, you know five ten years ago when I started and um, you know I think that there's a very um, I think it's collaborative right as issues come up and and specifically on the sponsorship uh, side of the business uh, when it comes to sponsorships we actually do have a partnership with the NFL um, as it relates to uh, national sponsors, so Pepsi, Gatorade, Bose, Microsoft, Verizon, those See types. How of we got them all in there, bar. Oh, he knows exactly. what he's doing. He knows yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> and then, but beyond that, and in a, in a much less well-known um, part of the business, but but um, in the aggregate, a hugely valuable part of the business is each of the 32 clubs. We work with with each of them on a local level, um, and so that has been tremendously valuable because the clubs, you know, they're. You know, they're competing not only on the football field, but in some context, you know, in the business realm with each other. And to have us, you know, with, with the knowledge that we have because we work with all of them and being able to say, well, here's some best practices, you know, from the Miami Dolphins and, you know, here's some best practices from the Houston Texans um, and, and, you know, being able to roll that out um, and highlight that has been tremendously valuable. So I think people in general would be pleasantly surprised um, about the business relationship. You notice how he didn't say the best practice of the uh, Detroit Lions bar. Hey, Bar's you know, a big Detroit guy. He doesn't. I'm, get... I'm a big Detroit guy. Oh, there See, we go. Yeah. Uh, okay. You're, you're the man. You're the man. It's like, I want a new partner. See, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ahmad, Ahmad could do it for sure. That's right. He, he could do this job oh, for sure. No. I, are, would, I would never trade you. We are chatting with Ahmad Nassar, <laughs> the president of NFL Players, Inc. And if you don't know, that's the marketing and licensing arm of the NFLPA. And uh, thank you very much, Ahmad, for trusting me. You mentioned content. But you didn't just launch into, by the way, we have this thing called Ace Media, but you are taking it in-house. What sorts of things is Ace Media doing for players? Who wants the players, and what are the, what are the messages they're trying to get out there? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, thank, uh, you're welcome, and, and I'm, I'm patient. I knew we were, we're you, knew, you knew we'd get there. If you didn't bring it up sooner or later, though, I, w- I was going to launch into it. Um, well, Barr was going to launch into Cribs. But, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but really, Cribs is sort of a precursor to all this. Yeah. It absolutely is, and in fact, in in you know the precursor to Ace was a show that we did with SB Nation and Samsung as a sponsor, where Samsung provided these big screen TVs for players who were remodeling their man caves, quote unquote, um, in their own homes, and and that was the show it was you know literally a ten minute um, web series. Uh, featuring a different player every week, where they—that's what they were doing. Who had the best one? I didn't see it, but who had oh, the best God, one? I don't remember back then who we had. Even I, I remember Vernon Davis having a a, okay. a really entertaining um, episode. 
Um, and, and so, but from there, we kind of said, look, there is an opportunity on content that nobody is really um, taking advantage of because they're not incentivized to take advantage of it. So the ESPNs and CBSs and those companies are rightfully fixated on, you know, the games and telecasting the games and, and, and broadcasting them and breaking them down before and after. Um, they pay a lot of money for those rights, and so they want to make sure that they maximize those rights, and we want them to make sure that they maximize those rights. But then, you know, we were looking and saying, you know, social media is really getting a lot of traction, obviously, and people seem to care about what the players are eating, what the players are doing, um, what they're reading, and what they're listening to, what video games they're playing. And, you know, our guys have the longest off-season of any of the, the, the pro sports, and so there's just more opportunity to fill that with content. And so we embarked on, you know, just a bunch of conversations with content providers, the usual suspects like the sports broadcasters, but then also some unusual suspects like E! Entertainment and all the reality programming that they were doing. And one of the very first shows that we sold was actually a dating show featuring Travis Kelsey um, to, it aired on E! Networks. And, I would have know, suggested Garoppolo. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> Um, okay. If people don't know what we're talking about, Google Garoppolo, <laughs> spelled like it sounds. Um, the 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 interesting thing about the, the the Travis Kelsey show, though, is look, there was no obvious place. E was not going to go do that show on their own because they don't do any sports things on their own, really. And you know, a, a network like ESPN or NFL Network, they're they're busy doing you know their bread and butter, and they again should be doing that. And so we were able to fill that gap and, and appeal to a different audience than, than maybe traditionally is watching NFL games or highlight shows. And, um, you know, from there, we've done shows with Facebook and Amazon, um, Bleacher Report, uh, BET. Uh, you know, so it's been a great business and a great learning experience. And we're coming up on the second birthday. And so as I like to remind um, the folks on that team that, you know, it's a business that's still in its diapers, and so we're still learning a lot of things. And and but it's been a really good run so far. Hey, I'm still in my diapers. But that's another story. <laughs> You're soon headed to diapers. <laughs> yeah, I guess eventually we're all back in it. So. Yeah, he's almost back to diapers. Yes. <laughs> we're talking with Ahmad Nasser, who is the president of NFL Players Inc. And I have to ask about the elephant in the room, and. Uh, we're starting. I've never, and you mentioned it earlier about subjects that you never thought that we would be talking about, but we're talking about today, and that is the big controversy about uh, athletes standing or kneeling for the national anthem. Can you take us what that means and how it impacts you? Yeah, um, that is definitely one of the issues I never quite thought I'd be talking about. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on, on that issue, um, both. Um, personally and professionally. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll stick to the, the professional side um, of things. Um, and, and I think there's a few kind of interesting facts to note. And, and, you know, I think we're quickly morphing into a fact-free society because people just want to have their opinions, the facts be damned. But, you know, from a factual standpoint, one, I think it's incredibly interesting to note um, and Scott, I'm sure, already knows this, um, that the NBA has had um, and currently has a stricter rule as it relates to standing during the national anthem than the NFL has had. All born um, of Mahmoud abdul Raouf exactly, so 20 many years, years ago, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and, um, uh, and, 
the reality, though, is would anybody sit here and, and say that the NBA as a league or the, pl- the NBA players as a group of individuals somehow care less about social justice issues or any of the things that our NFL players um, have been trying to call attention to via their actions during the anthem? And I think the answer to that is, of course not, right? People like LeBron James and Steph Curry and, and then go into coaching staffs like Steve Kerr and, and um uh, and uh, Greg Popovich and, and down, you know, all the way up to Adam Silver have been very forceful and very clear about these issues, all the while having a rule on the books that is stricter than the NFL's. And so I think that right away as a fact helps kind of deflate a bit of the polarizing, like, hey, anthem, stand, sit, kneel, like, what's going on? Um, the other fact is that, you know, the history of this, Colin, almost, Kaepernick, almost two years ago now, um, which is amazing. We're heading into the third straight season, essentially, of having to talk about this stuff and, and deal with it. And we marvel every day that this is still an issue. And, yeah. and it's still an issue because I'm not sure we're really anywhere, right? I mean, we're still kind of figuring this out from, from a blank piece of paper. And, and um, you know, Colin, two years ago, started by sitting. Um, and he then uh, was pulled aside by a teammate who was a veteran who said, listen, um, you should try, you should kneel instead, because um, some people might be really offended by the sitting. Um, but, you know, if you kneel in quiet contemplation, reflection, um, that, that, you know, you can still kind of affect the same um, discourse that you want to affect without necessarily offending people. Yeah, but does it matter about that? Exactly. Does it matter that the, the message was inspired by a former Army Ranger? I think it should. I mean, it should, factual, but, but does it? Right. As a, as a, yeah, does it? No, I don't think so, because it's become something totally different. I will say this, too, and I'm not defending kneeling by this other fact that I want to mention, which is kneeling is in, in every, like, in all of the, the world's major religions, I'm, I'm pretty sure every single one of them, kneeling is, constitutes some, fort, some, some uh, uh, portion of prayer uh, in, in all the major religions. So if kneeling in and of itself is somehow disrespectful, why would that be the case? And then the second part is, you know, in, in a lot of cultures, men uh, uh, would be grooms uh, kneel before uh, proposing to their fiancé, and I'm pretty sure they're not doing that as a sign of disrespect either. And so, you know, but you're right, because I think we're way past that at this point, right? Kneeling, fist in the air, whatever. If you're not, basically anything that deviates from standing at attention, hand over heart, is going to now attract um, vitriol, um, particularly if you're um, uh, a certain, you know, uh, race, frankly, and, and that's, that's a big part of this. Especially um, when that patriotism, by the way, and I feel that this was important and pointed out, but again, lost on the audience, I don't think cared, that the patriotism was paid for. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the teams that actually refunded the money. More, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look, the, the um, uh, baseball's all-star game and home run derby were right in my backyard in D.C., and I had the, uh, the good fortune of going to both of those events. And I was, I was surprised um, how eager, um, now part of that was because it was in Washington, D.C., but how eager the, the, the baseball league was to wrap the entire ceremony. Yeah. And there were some awesome moments, like the Medal of Honor winners, and then there were organic moments when the Medal of Honor winners had been introduced prior to the All-Star game. Both sets of the AL and, and NL All-Stars spontaneously went up and spent like five minutes shaking their hands and like hugging them. And so that's amazing and awesome to see. Um, but clearly an example of a league not shying away, but running towards that issue. Um, and they don't, you know, as a league, have the same kinds of issues um, or, or, I guess, player base as we do. 
Um, and I think, you know, the goal should just really be what, what is, you know, what's the point? And, and I think one thing we just can't lose sight of is as we sit right here, on, uh, you know, talking about this issue, there, there's now not just Colin Kaepernick, but Eric Reed, who, who, you know, by any statistical objective measure, are unemployed because of this issue. And, and I think for a lot of players, um, that is, that's a huge problem that needs to be solved, along with whatever the league wants to do, uh, whatever owners want to do um, on, uh, as it relates to the rule surrounding the anthem. Um, you know, we can't forget that there are two individuals, and you know, we've been supportive of Colin's grievance, and, and um, we've been directly representing Eric and his grievances. Um, but you know, that, that makes it all the more um, thorny of an issue um, and then, you know, back to your original question about how it's affected me in, in, in the work context, you know, I've had tons of sponsors and licensees wanting to talk about, well, what's going on? What's the deal? I've heard all sorts of different things about whether it's affecting business. Um, some people have said that it is absolutely affecting their business. Others have said it, it hasn't affected it at all, um, and their businesses have continued to grow. So but there's I- no, you know, one-size-fits-all answer that this this anthem issue has absolutely been a negative, um, you know, uh, effect on the overall NFL business, um, despite some people saying that it, it absolutely has been. You guys are, in essence, acting like venture capitalists. Yeah. You're taking equity in new companies for the, for the right to use the players' marks and license and, and, and faces, and that's because a lot of these companies don't have the cash to get such deals. Yep. But the idea and how is it working right now? Um, we've, we rolled that out about uh, a year and a half ago. Um, we've had 500 companies come across the radar and apply. We've, um, we've signed deals where we've gotten equity stakes in uh, eight or nine. Um, and we've met a ton of interesting people along the way, um, people like David Stern, who's kind of doing a version of this now that he's retired from being the NBA commissioner, um, all of the major VCs out in uh, Silicon Valley and Seattle and L.A., uh, New York. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is it's really opened our eyes to beyond the sports industry. Um, and so we've learned a lot about that. But I think um, for us, it's also opened our set of rights and what we do as a, as a business to early stage companies and startups that would not otherwise, we're looking for the next Nike and EA and, and Under Armour, frankly. And, and you know, we, we already so work bar. with all those companies. <laughs> <laughs> we already work with all those companies. But they're at a point now where they're huge publicly traded companies, and I think we can help these smaller, earlier stage companies hopefully get to that point. And by working with them earlier, I think we make the, the possibility and the, the opportunity for us and our players much larger. Right, Amai, let's put this one on bar, because since we were talking about John Madden, he's got the best voice of us, no offense, but it's far better than mine, better than yours. Ready, Bar, remember Madden when there'd be a huge collision uh, on the field. Oh, He's, yeah. Oh, give me give me your best thwap. Give me a Madden thwap. And he came there and pow! He hit him right and oh, look at that play. And then, and then he would take the Telestrator and then, you know, he would draw marks on it. Next thing you know, remember the one he did with the uh, the, the Traducan? Big... Yeah, <laughs> remember the, the Traducan. Remember the Traducan one? <laughs> yeah. He did one about the, the two Gatorade buckets. Yeah. They had two buckets and then they had a little baby Gatorade bucket and they drew a circle around that. That's why I love Madden so much. <laughs> Ahmad, you see what it's like working with Barr? I ask him to work <laughs> in thwap, like but, but, but I ask him to work in thwap, and he gives me a bam or whatever. This is what it's like working with. It's, it's impossible. Tough act and connect. All right, Ahmad Nassar, president of NFL Players, Inc. Thank you so much for taking some time. Thank you both. Thank you. Takeaways from the interview, it, 
We were very lucky because we always get the very smart people when we do these interviews. And you can tell that he had a law background because he knows what he's doing. He clerks for a judge. Yeah. I mean, he knows what he's doing in this. And I'm impressed that he is teaching the people in the NFL, don't leave the money on the table because there's a lot there. Yeah, well, I'm always impressed that the unions are taking on the bigger roles these days. And this union, I mean, it really used to be the collective bargaining was 99% of what the unions were there for. And that's still a major point of what they do. But this union is now acting almost like talent agent and rep. And on a bigger scale with the one team collective, they're acting as venture capital fund. They're really finding ways to grow the money and share it with the members. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, and it's a big number for us. Big number. 100. Big, you you turn 100. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the card. Hey, look, 100 shows next week. That's doing something. With sports betting yes. at the forefront now, in this whole newsroom, lots of people, when they heard Michael Barr and Soshnick are getting a show, how many had the under at 100? Oh, I, I were a lot. <laughs> I see. Can I see a show of hands? Is the sea of hands? What was that game show? Card shark. Someone yeah. said two. Lower, lower, lower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I am so grateful. I mean, I am being sincere about this. Uh, I am. I know we joke and kid, but with you and Evan uh, and Medina, uh, all of us as a team, uh, I, I am a very lucky individual to be working with you guys. And we don't have a show without you, Evan, and Medina. And I really mean that. I was going to get sentimental, Medina, but I'm just going to say you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what we set, what we set out at the start to do, and practice makes perfect all that, we have gotten better. It was not great. At the, we, we, we've gotten better. We've kind of hit a stride and a comfort level with each other. But what we set out to do is entertain people, which I think we do, and educate people, which I know we do. So if we combine those things and continue to combine those things with the quality of the guests that we have, these are the leaders of the industry sharing their thoughts and their strategies and, and, and their positions and their reasonings, there'll be another hundred behind it. And the most important person to thank you, the listener, because we are grateful that you listen to us each and every week and we have upcoming guests, hopefully a future down the road where we can do 200 uh, but again, thank you for listening to us because uh, it means a lot to us. We really do mean it. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Big Bar, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. And online is an Apple podcast on iTunes.